Screw it, screw it, we're just gonna talk about Spider-Man. Welcome to Screw It, we're just gonna talk about Spider-Man. I'm your first host, Kevin Hines. I'm your second host, Will Hines. That's right, and this is a podcast where we go through the original issues of Spider-Man uh, by its original creators, Steve Ditko and Stanley. We Each podcast, we cover one of those issues, right, Will? That's correct. You've described it accurately. Yeah. We're not going to do that, though, in this episode, so I guess it's no longer accurate as of now. Right. We're breaking the mold. Um, and we're going to talk about the Spider-Man movies, the live-action movies, starting with the Tobey Maguire, Sam Raimi-directed uh, film in 2002, yep. and working our way up to Spider-Man Homecoming that came out uh, last year, 2017. You and I both, and I think you more have uh, particular opinions over how Spider-Man should be handled in the movies. I guess like a lot of Spider-Man's passionate fans. Yeah. I mean, I think whenever someone's really passionate about something, whatever that is, it's hard for an adaption to live to up to what they want. Like people who love yeah. Harry Potter books don't like the movies. Mm -hmm. um, that's the only other example that there is. <laughs> um, but yeah, like anything, it's like, it's like, ah, the book was so much better or yeah. this character. It's so hard. It's so hard. To, I mean, a book I is want. so, a book is so internal and can cover so much more ground. And yeah, the, the comics know, the, are such a weird thing uh, because they're sort of visual, but also static. They and also it, cover a huge, you know, amount of time. Like, are you talking about the Ditko Spider-Man yeah. or the, or the John Romita or the Roger Stern or like, you know, what, what are you yeah. talking about? And I mean, and comics by their nature are serial in nature that not every story is big and epic that just slow things building up and subplots. They really translate better to TV probably. Yep. But the budget uh, makes them need to be movies more often, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, though that's happening less and less light often now. Uh, and then those movies make tons of money, so they want to make them movies and not television shows. Like So before we even get into the movies that actually happened, I want to talk about like how, you know, we were fans of Spider-Man from like the late 1970s, early 1980s when we were yeah. reading the comics. And so like for a long time, like it wasn't even possible to think there could be a Spider-Man movie. Like the effects weren't there. Right. The like, only real live action Spider-Man was the TV movies. Yeah. With, yeah. Where like he basically mostly like wall crawled for like 25 minutes and then did Kung Fu <laughs> and they just cut to like a net being thrown over somebody. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> The effects were very lo-fi. I think if somebody had put a lot of money in, they could have done a better job than what they did. But like for yeah. TV movie money, it was like, yeah, you know, turn the camera on its side. So he's climbing yeah. up the side of a building. And then like, yeah, his web was like a th thick rope net that got thrown on people. Yeah. I, you know what? I um, still watched him. <laughs> I, I watched one of them and I don't know if I, I think there was like two or three. Uh, yeah, I think there was three. Uh, they, they were like a TV series and then they would get like re-released as movies or something like yeah. that. I saw one at like as the package as the movie. So it was like a two hour, two episode thing. And it was boring. Yeah. Um, they had a bunch of those, you know, like the Incredible Hulk was a TV show that was, that was kind of good. And then like Captain America was a TV show that was like really weird and bad. Uh, um, so anyway, so like when yeah. we were kids, like the expectation was like, well, there'll never be a Spider-Man movie. Like. But it was it was something that you and I always thought about, and you would. I mean, you, before Batman, before the Tim Burton Batman, uh, like really, there only been Superman was the only real live action, yeah, well done superhero movie. That's right. Yeah, the Christopher Reeve Superman was like, oh my god, like it's a real superhero movie, and it was good. I mean, the, especially the first, yeah, 
two and um definitely first one and and the second one was uh i liked it but i don't love it yeah. uh, but anyway that's not we're not talking about superman and here. yeah then tim burton um, batman came out and that was like i mean it looked beautiful and the production was great and that was sort of like brought it's funny because marvel is so far ahead of dc now in terms of quality yeah. of movies but it, it was dc all the way for a while yeah, and Spider-Man seemed harder than Batman or Superman because of, like, just web-slinging feels impossible to make look good. Yeah, and how can you do it without that? And you'd, we'd watch movies and just be like, well, maybe that effect could be used for Spider-Man. I remember when I remember when The Crow came out. I think you were like, I saw The Crow. Yeah. And, and I think, like, that tells me that Spider-Man might be possible. Like, you were always tracking when movies were going to be ready to do Spider-Man. Right, because Batman wasn't, especially the Tim Burton Batman, he didn't move much. He's just like a guy no. in a big armored suit punching people. So you didn't really have yeah. the swiftness and the agileness of Spider-Man, but the crow had that for sure. Yep. Uh, and um, uh, but, for years, for years, you'd read rumors like in comic book magazines about a Spider-Man movie. Like James Cameron was like somebody who was associated with like yeah, for a, trying to do a Spider-Man movie for a long time. For a long time, he wanted to make a Spider-Man movie. And I remember seeing the Titanic with you and we were like, oh, maybe if he had been able to, he would have made Spider-Man with... Um, you know, instead of this movie. I mean, maybe you would have made both, I guess, but <laughs> yeah. Titanic did but okay, he lost I guess. Titanic little indie movie from like 1998. That is uh look it up. Uh, it's some, uh, you know, this guy, yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio's in it and he's pretty cool. And Kate Winslet's okay. But the effects in that movie, Titanic were so incredible. It was like, Oh yeah. Even though there wasn't Spider-Man like yeah. action. It's like, if they could do this, maybe anything's yeah. possible. Right. Um, and, but you know, there was always stuff going on with the rights. Yeah. Like I, I don't know the exact story of this, but I can imagine that Spider-Man being like the biggest Marvel property was probably very early on, like optioned and sought after. And, yes. you know, and I'm was, sure Ant-Man, Ant-Man was like free from for Marvel to do whatever it wanted with. But Spider-Man was grabbed early. So like it's it's still not part of the Marvel universe. Is that right, right or something? Yeah. Like? Um, and for a long time, I think it was unclear who even owned the rights because Marvel had probably sold it multiple times. In different ways. Um, yeah, reading about Spider-Man movie rights was like a, a deep cut hobby of comic book fans for a while. Just like, what is could it even happen? So, yeah. and then at some point, Sony claimed all the rights to Spider-Man, yeah. all the film rights. Yeah. Um, and so Sony owns Spider-Man, and then recently Sony has made a deal with Disney that I don't fully understand. That so they co-make these movies so that Spider-Man can be part of the Marvel universe. But yeah. Sony gets a cut of the money or half the money or has some say. But Sony also owns the rights to a lot of the Spider-Man characters still because they're going to do like a Venom solo movie that's going to be terrible <laughs> um, and some other things. And I don't quite understand how that deal works, but it exists. But it was just funny being uh, friends with you and like talking about Spider-Man because you would check in with me when it when it was like seeming to be possible. And, you know, we yeah, would have every a, now and then we, the rumor would come out. It'd be like it's going to happen in a couple of years. Yeah. Like, and then it wouldn't. So now, and um, when when did you outline what? Did, don't we have like an outline of what we think the movie should be? I don't like know that we, if we have that, it written, but we definitely talked about it a lot. And I'm guessing this was probably 99, 2000. Yeah. Back when, when I first moved to New York City and we'd go to bars and have nothing to do other than talk to each other about either Spider-Man or the Red Sox. <laughs> Let me share with our listeners a deeply personal, embarrassing thing Kevin and I used to do. So it's, it's not too bad, but it's it's. I'm going to put it into the moderately embarrassing category, although I'm weirdly proud of this. It's so strange. 
So I lived. I moved to New York City in 1996, and then Kevin, when did you move there? A couple of years later. Yeah, I moved in 99, I think. Maybe, maybe end of 98. Okay, so we're both in New York City. We we didn't like have a ton of friends in New York City. We we, we would soon after get very involved at the UCB Theater and meet like a million people, but. We were kind of like, what are we doing with our lives? <laughs> you know, at least socially. And so like Kevin and I would be like, well, we should go. We should go out. <laughs> we would go to a bar. But then what are you going to do in a bar? Like we, we didn't know anybody. Yeah. So we would meet like at an Upper East Side bar, two guys in their late 20s and just talk to each other, which was fine. Yep. And one of the things we would talk about would be Spider-Man movies or just Spider-Man in general. Mm-hmm. But we'd also talk about the Red Sox. And I, I remember us evolving a fiction, a fantasy life where we played for the Red Sox. Yeah, um, and then we would imagine that we were on the team when the Red Sox would finally break the curse and win the World Series. Right, because they had not won the World Series at this point. Right, this is all before 2004. Spoiler alert, Red yeah. Sox won the World Series in 2004. <laughs> right, but the Sox um, were... So it seemed impossible. Yeah. It seemed as impossible as a Spider-Man movie. <laughs> right, so we would talk about our two geek fantasy dreams, the Red Sox winning the World Series or a Spider-Man movie happening. Uh, but but because of these conversations, we'd get pretty involved with it. Like so, what what? And I, yeah. I also remember you would track who should play Spider-Man. You thought the guy that played Xander on Buffy, or the, the character of Xander was very what a Peter Parker should be, I think. Yeah, when he was young, uh, Nicholas Brendan felt to me like Spider-Man, where he was like just dorky enough where he would still probably be the most handsome guy in most high schools he went to. <laughs> but uh, but we're like movie, yeah, movie dorky. But he had comic timing. And I always felt like Spider-Man, the actor, I feel like this is about most superheroes, need to be able to deliver a joke. Yeah. Even if the character isn't funny, and Spider-Man is funny, but just because like quips and lines and, and, and people without comic timing... I think struggle in action movies. Like I think young Tom Cruise, too handsome for Spider-Man, but could have been a superhero, like a teenage superhero easily because he's just got that timing. You just deliver a weird line perfectly. Uh, Yeah, in the Mission Impossible movies, he's alternately the most amazing hero ever and then often overwhelmed and totally easily beaten in in a way that can be funny. And you got to be able to hit both those notes kind of. And and he can drop lines where it seems like (laughs) you believe that this guy thought he was going to die even though he's Tom Cruise. Um, um, but yeah, you just need that sort of ability. And Robert Downey Jr. clearly oh, yeah, has that sure. um, and shown it in spades in Iron Man. Um, and uh, I think it's so I often look at comedians or people who are the, just uh, can play the sister roles. in Black Panther has a great comic timing. She's so amazing. <laughs> in that. Yeah, every line she delivers and some of the lines I feel like are very difficult yeah. lines to get a laugh off of. And they yeah. all work. She yeah, uh, she is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She could play yep. Spider-Man. Um, and, and Donald Glover was floated for a while um, when he was on Community, and he could have been a good oh, yeah. Spider-Man. He's got the comic timing, and he like is good-looking, but also sort of nerdy. Yep. Like He is actually perfect yeah. for the part, other than for racist fans. Racist fans would not would, approve uh, of Donald Glover as Spider-Man, but uh, he's yeah. got uh, perfect acting chops, and absolutely... He's probably aged out of it now, but like... Now he's probably aged out of it, but he could have been Peter Parker, no question, yeah. easily. Um so these are things that would come up over the years. So when... I mean, even Leonardo DiCaprio, I think we floated, even though we thought he was too handsome, but he was obviously a James Cameron. Yeah, Cameron uh, wanted him. Leo to be Peter. Yeah. He's such a good actor, and Cameron and him work together so well. I would have been interested to see it. Yeah, I would have been open to that. Um, it's hard to imagine a Peter that handsome, but, you know, Peter Parker in the comics is actually good looking, and everyone just pretends to not notice. So <laughs> That's right, yeah. So it probably would have worked. Um, and Leo could have played, you know, you could have played slubby. unconfident and he was a, str- he was a string bean yeah. as a kid. So you could play that up, I guess. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So, uh, actors were a big part of it. And then we, you and I would talk about what we wanted that first movie to be. 
And I think we, we also talked a little bit about what a trilogy would be, but we off, we spent more time on the first film. We were realistic in our fantasies. We were waiting for Hollywood just to ask us about one movie, not all three. Yeah, but we had plans. If they asked us, like, what's your vision for the next two? We had some yeah. ideas. Because <laughs> uh, I think we, we were, movie we were one was going to be, yeah, movie one was Doc Ock. Movie two was Green Goblin. And I think maybe three was Venom. Yeah, I think that sounds right. Uh, I know that movie one, we were inspired a lot by the Master Planner saga. Right. Which uh, we, amazing uh, Spider-Man 31, 32, and 33. Yeah. Which, depending on when this podcast is released, we probably haven't gotten to yet. We, yeah, we almost have. Yeah, we're, we're recording this uh, in late February, although it's going to be an evergreen episode that we wait until we're sort of behind on recording. So who knows when this comes out? But Yeah, but I bet it will be before the uh, issue 31, 32, 33. Yes, but yeah, that storyline kind of combined with the first Doc Ock story, 3, is sort of, I think, the the yeah. the spine of our movie. We'd have like the Doc Ock story from issue three, just the failure part. Yes, and then then he would come back to victory in the manner of the Master Planner saga. Um, yeah, and so I think, and we were going to uh, have the origin in the first movie, right? I think we were. Yeah, we got to have the origin, but we just didn't want to spend a ton of time on it because we want to get it. We wanted to get to him being a superhero. Get to the fun stuff. Uh, in my mind, we opened with Doc Ock uh, becoming Doctor Octopus. Okay. Like his accident, or maybe it had already happened and he's committing crimes already. Yeah, but we start on yeah. him. But it, but in our movie, Doc Ock precedes Spider Man. Yeah. With powers, um, and then we would basically tell Amazing Fantasy fifteen in like half an hour. Right. Um, and then he would be Spider Man and. You know, he's, you know, saves his Uncle Ben, probably a, a montage of him stopping some other criminals, probably. And then he hears about Dr. Octopus and is like, well, this is what I do. Yeah. Uh, that That's a uh, great power, great responsibility. I got to take this guy down. And Doc Ock just beats him handily yeah. and he quits. Oh, yeah. The Spider-Man quitting is a, uh, always a, a big a big part of our favorite Spidey stories. Yeah. He's like, I almost died. I was going to leave Aunt May alone. Well, I did what I could and my job is done and I'm no longer going to be Spider-Man. Yeah. And then Aunt May would get sick, and that would be even more so being like, well, glad I quit being Spider-Man. I got to take care of Aunt May. And then he would find out that this experimental cure existed, but it had just been stolen by Dr. Octopus. Which is the story of Master Planner Saga. Yeah. Uh, And so then he'd be like, oh, no, you didn't. (laughs) And he would basically go, and it would be the Master Planner story pretty much, you know, as close as we could get that to be. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh! but then the other thing was we added this one twist to it. So he would get the medicine. He would bring it back to Aunt May, save her. But he hadn't, he hadn't caught Doc Ock because he wasn't worried about catching him. Yeah, all he was worried about was After, Aunt May. And once he's told Aunt May is going to live, he goes back for Doc right, Ock. Right, right. Because that's the part where he's like, he was doing it for Aunt May up to that point. But he's like, no, no, I don't. I can't let this guy just be loose. I was that's wrong right. to give up. That's right. Oh, and maybe even Aunt May gives him the speech. The Parkers aren't quitters. Yeah. And he's like, does she yeah, do that right, in the movies ever? Sort of, uh, in Spider-Man 2, I believe. Yeah. She doesn't um, say Parkers aren't quitters, but she does sort of give a speech where it's like, maybe she knows. We'll get to that when we talk about it. There's a speech for, where she basically me, says, me like, Kevin, I might I th- know Peter Parker as Spider-Man. Yeah. For me and Kevin, listeners, and also I think for lots of fans of Spider-Man, the early issues, the Parkers aren't quitter speeches. Uh, it's the Martin Luther King Jr. I have a dream speech of uh, yeah. <laughs> of early Ditko issues. It's like it's, like it's a good big to moment. compare that important real life speech <laughs> to an old woman talking to a white teenage boy. Fictional too, but yeah. um, but it, but it was a big emotional moment, and it's something that yeah. Kevin and I would refer to in shorthand as the Parkers aren't quitters speech. Yeah, because Aunt May, who's basically on death's door her entire existence through, <laughs> while, while Ditko drew her, basically tells Peter, "I would never give up." Yeah. And the doctors even say that about her. It's like, oh, she's such a strong woman. 
Yeah. And Peter and, Siskiyou quits every time he faces adversity, and he's like, ah, oh, crap. It scares him straight. He's key he can't yeah. be. I love that moment. Yep. And uh, uh, so we had that in our first movie, too. So it's a lot. It would be a packed first movie. We'd have like a five and a half hour first movie. Uh, and then the second one would be something with Green Goblin, uh, and the third one would have been Venom, because in my mind, it was like getting more personal each movie. Yes. Green Goblin's more personal, because it's like the father of his best friend and right. threatening his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And then the Venom is basically just wants to kill him. Yeah. I wasn't sure how to make Venom work, but, you know, we had to make the first two first. So <laughs> That's right. We had time. Okay, so all this expectation and all this thought, the first Sam Ram movie comes out in 2002. Yes. Two. Okay. So at this point, I think X-Men 1 had come out. Yeah, that's right. Because X-Men 1 had been 2000. Yeah, and X-Men 1 was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, uh, I went to X-Men 1 because it was like a superhero movie, and it was in the age where I was like, if a superhero movie comes out, I'm going to see it because they're so rare. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a huge X-Men fan, and I watched that movie, and I was like, oh, I get why Wolverine is cool now. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it was a cool film. So then the Sam Raimi movie happens. And I remember seeing the yeah. trailer first that showed like him web swinging. Yeah. There's a trailer from web. There's also a trailer where he webs a helicopter between the twin towers. Oh, that's right. Because it was and made before 9-11. Yeah. And they had to stop showing that trailer almost immediately because then 9-11 uh, Yeah. Happened. I forgot about that. And it was like this weird trailer where Spider-Man was barely in it. And it's not a scene from the movie. It's just sort of this joke of like Spider-Man catching criminals just like flies. Yeah. In New York City. And it was sort of a cool idea. It's like, yeah, New York City is a big part of Spider-Man. Just the fact that there was a Spider-Man movie is all the trailer was really saying. It's like, there's going to be a Spider-Man movie. Yeah. And so they got Sam Raimi, who had made like schlocky horror comedy films that I love. Yeah, you were a big Sam Raimi. A couple better. I was already a big Sam Raimi fan. Um, Yeah. And they cast Tobey Maguire as Peter Parker. Uh And we saw this um, opening night in New York City. Yeah. um, And the crowd was pumped. Yes. Um, so now I don't always trust my memory. Mm-hmm. I think that I largely really liked this movie and was so glad that it was made. And I thought the effects were not totally perfect, but were generally really good. Yeah. And I thought I this was great at the I time. Like, it was so much more than we'd ever, our expectations were so low. Yeah. And we were like, this is a good movie. It was better than X-Men. Um, it was better than all the bad Batman movies. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it felt great. It felt like more than we could have ever hoped for. The web slinging was so cool to see real, even though it's all CGI. It felt like I'm watching a real dude swing around New York City. It was great. There were things I didn't like about it, but in in the moment, like like that in 2002, I wouldn't have said a bad thing about this movie. Um, Yes, uh, it was. um, It it, now I look back now and the web slinging effects. They've really been surpassed by technology yeah. now, but it was so further ahead of whatever was there. And it still it still looks pretty good. It doesn't look like embarrassingly bad by any stretch. There's a couple of shots that still look good. There's a couple of shots where it's just like a close up of his head and he's holding a rope. It feels almost like Tarzan uh, movies, uh, old Tarzan movies. But yeah. um, he just that didn't seem to register with me when I first saw it. Uh, I definitely had issues um, with uh, Tobey Maguire, I think couldn't deliver quips he played a nerdy awkward peter parker but not like a nerdy funny peter parker yeah he was he was like legit oblivious and just sort of sweetly earnest he's more stumbling and tripping and less um legit funny sarcastic and uh angry yeah um and then the mary jane kirsten dunst was more like gwen stacy sort of dreamy and sweet and not sort of spunky and yeah. uh, uh, in your face. You and I were always fans of Mary Jane Watson as the like, you know, you hit the jackpot tiger sort of like sarcastic, confident, 
Yeah. Um, I, I think it takes someone sort of uh, like that to be with someone who's actually a superhero at night. There was a big review. Because Lois Lane is very confident. Right. In, Lois in Lane is a good match for Superman, and we wanted somebody like that for our Spider-Man. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I remember um, Kurt Bu- uh, Busick? Busick? Yeah. Busick, I believe. Um, you know, big comic book writer has written a million things. Astro City and a 10 million Marvel comics. Wasn't he the one who made the decision that Mary Jane knew Spider-Man's identity? He didn't make the decision, but he did tell a story about it. The decision, I believe, was made by Gary Conway in like one of the early graphic novels, like Fear Itself, I believe. Okay. Um, where it was revealed that Mary Jane knew Spider-Man was Peter Parker. And had known beginning. for a long time. Had always known, um, even though Spider-Man doesn't tell her himself till they're dating and, about, and engaged, I believe. Yeah, Mary Jane Watson was a girl from the neighborhood and... This this was established right away. Always, she was a girl from the neighborhood, hap- surprisingly beautiful, and mm-hmm. and and sort of set up with Gwen Stacy a Betty and Veronica thing with Peter. Like, which beautiful girl will he go out with? Right. That yeah, that, so that, was a, that that was her was character initially. Yeah. And and Peter went for Gwen Stacy, who was also into science. And and Mary Jane was more of a party girl. Right. And then yeah, so I guess Jerry Conway in the late seventies made the decision, you know what? What if Mary Jane always knew he was Spider Man? And then you have to retroactively look at the way she acts around him in a whole new light. And I remember being like, That's extremely cool. Yeah, I think it's really cool. And uh, um I love when it's used. Um It's uh it, it makes her braver and sort of open to risks. And embracing of his strange lifestyle. And uh, so when we saw Kristen Dunst as Mary Jane, you and I had a whole uh, thing we wanted from a Mary Jane character. And she, they weren't trying to do that with her. No. Um, yeah, she's more like Gwen. Yeah, uh, she feels other than she's a, um actress. Her trappings were Mary Jane, but her energy felt more like Gwen Stacy to me. Yeah. Still worked, though. Still a cool uh, romance in the movie. Oh, Parallel Lives was the story. Okay. But it was Jerry Conway. I, I said fear itself. I, uh, that's wrong. That's Daredevil, I think, right? Uh, parallel lies. I think it's a few things. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, and I think that came out around the time that they were engaged or had just been married, and it was revealed that she always knew. Yeah. Uh, and it's a yeah. very cool thing, and it gives her power instead of giving all the power to Peter Parker. Yeah, yeah it gives her a lot more agency. We could go into long details about that, but um, this maybe isn't the best place for that. <laughs> okay, so that movie was good, right? So we were like, this is a success. Yeah, it was good. I found the Green Goblin costume annoying because it was like this metal mask. Yeah. But Willem Dafoe was really good um, beyond that. Yeah. There's parts of it that are campy. And, of course, J. Jonah Jameson um, Outstanding. W- was perfect. Yeah. J.K. Simmons nailed it. Um, and J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson, he was playing ripped so from funny. the pages. There was no difference. When he like hangs up on his wife with that, like when he just brings his finger down on the phone button to hang up on her. Yeah. Like the secretary's like, JJJ, your wife's on line one. And he just like drops his hand onto the phone to the hang up. The secretary played by Elizabeth Banks. Yeah. Who's Betty Brandt. Huge now. But like they just kind of, it was a tiny part and they cast like an amazing actress as Betty Brandt. Yeah. Yeah, man, that was so fun. Uh, but um, yeah, all the bugle scenes were a blast. They were perfect. Uh, so the movie was good. It, in retrospect, I look back at it, and it feels a little slow, and it feels a little uh, campy at times. Yeah. But, oh, man, at the time, it was everything. And there's also a scene, and the reason I brought up the fact that we watched it in New York is there's a scene late in the movie that, when I watch it now, it feels too much, where Spider-Man is facing Green Goblin by the Brooklyn Bridge, right. and all the right. New Yorkers start throwing garbage at the Green Goblin. They stand They stand up for Spidey. They're like, not in New York! 
And the right. crowd went crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. This is well, less than like, a year out from 9-11. And right, right, New York right. was like, yeah, that's right. We would do that. Yeah. It was sort of cool to be watching that like in Times Square or wherever we saw it. Yeah. It, I mean, and honestly, I felt it. You just felt like, oh, yeah, of course we would do this. We would stand <laughs> up against yeah. the supervillain. Yeah. It's a very uh, silly bit. Yeah. It stands, out, it stands out now. So what do you think about number two? Number two, talk, talk. Uh, oh. at the time, surpassed uh, uh, Spider-Man 1 and for a yeah. long time was, I think, the best Spider-Man movie ever. Yeah. Um, I love the villain too. was better. Doc Ock mm-hmm. was portrayed more realistically, less campy. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, there was a little bit more humor in it. You, you were, you were just like you, the origin while being the greatest part about Spider-Man getting past that just freed them up to have more fun with Spider-Man. Right. That subway uh, action sequence is really great. The subway sequence. And there's a subway sequence where the New Yorkers save Spider-Man again, but it feels less, uh, goofy. He saves all of them and then he passes out. And they, and they take his mask off, right? His mask maybe has fallen off or been ripped off, and they stand between him and Dr. Octopus. But then he just, oh, yeah, that's right. They're just like, you got to go through us. It's yeah. like, that's really cool. They were very protective of him. I remember they see him without his mask. They're like, oh, my God, he's just a kid. They're like, Yeah, amazed. someone says he's just a kid, which he is. Yeah. I mean, he's at this point 20s because he's in college, but he's young. Yeah. Man, I love that movie. And Doc Oct is really well done. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of things work, and the ending of it is really fun, too, where... Um, where uh, Mary Jane meets Spider-Man. Uh, she's like decided not to marry John Jameson and basically uh, runs to him. And she's like, I love you. I've always loved you. We should be together. And Peter Parker hears a siren and looks at the window. And she just goes, go get him, Tiger. Oh, right, right. Oh, I forgot about that. I love that. Yeah. And it's uh, great. Yeah. It's like a very Spider-Man feeling moment. And I don't know how well cast uh, she is for that part, but that line, it still works on me. <laughs> that was good fanboy bait. And I also like my superhero uh, love interests to fully support the superhero side. Yeah, you should pick somebody who wants to be. It's somebody who wants to be dating a superhero. Somebody who's in yeah danger a lot. Uh, and then he like leaps out the window and chases after a police car or whatever. It's a really cool ending yeah. to a really good movie. I forgot about that. Um, he was near his neighbors, the Dukowskis. Yeah, that was like a weird Rammy thing because we don't know who they were. Yeah. Just like that they're named after Ditko, though, is the part that I thought was funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But they were also, like, weird, like, because, like, they uh, like the, they were just, like, awkward. Uh, there was, like, an awkward uh, woman that lived uh, there. Yes. And the dad was sort of angry, and it was just... Like a v- but it also... Yeah. Kind of an ethnic Eastern European family where they're, like, super loud and noisy, and, like, the girl's got a crush on Peter or something. Yeah. It was, it was like, a very weird only in this movie do these characters exist, but... Uh, yeah. You know, they're there. That's fun. It all works. There's also... Um, yeah, I don't know. There's it. There's a lot of parts. There's a whole th- middle sequence where he loses his powers, and they sort of do Spider-Man no more, where he's happy he's not Spider-Man anymore, and then his powers come back. And I never fully understood why he lost his powers. I forgot. I forgot all about that back. subplot. Yeah, it, it feels like they just wanted to redo him, like jumping off buildings again and learning how to do it. But mm. um, uh, it's all in there. And then the third movie came out. Which is largely hated. Yeah. I think the third movie is better than its rep, but I do agree. I think so it's, the, too. it's the worst of the three and it's got the most problems, but I still liked seeing it. Maybe I still it's, had it too much in my brain just to be, I might have just still been grateful there's even a halfway decent Spider Man movie at all, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's significantly worse than two and worse than one. But yeah, I, a lot of things people didn't like about it um, just feel like heightened moments from one and two. What did you think about the famous 
Raindrops keep falling on my head section. So the raindrops keep falling on my head section, that's two. Oh, it's that's where he's happy. Uh, and that gets heightened into three with some sort of emo jazz thing. Oh, right. Because he's got the Venom costume. And that's, I guess, my point. People hated that sequence in Spider-Man 3, but no one complained about raindrops keep falling on my head in two, which is almost as silly. It's funny how raindrops keep falling on my head has now been in two different movies as a completely anachronistic thing. Not anachronistic, but like a totally tonal break. Oh, right, because uh, Butch Cassidy, Butch Cassidy? And kid where they're cowboys in the Old West, and then they just have a sequence where they're riding bicycles around to raindrops keep falling on my head. Yeah, I don't like that sequence of that movie. <laughs> but, I mean, it's famously talked about as, like, not fitting in, but most people are like, eh, it works. You know, that movie works, that movie's yeah, yeah. charming. It, it, I mean, the movie's great. Yeah. yeah, so it either doesn't hurt or it works, and that happened again in Spider-Man 2. Oh, yeah, so the, e- yeah. the emo bit, what did you think about that, like, where he goes emo? It's dumb. I mean, it's bad. But I also didn't love the raindrops keep falling on my head bit, so they... It, it felt like, ah, this is Sam Raimi likes to do these sequences where Peter Parker acts weird. Yeah. Um, and it was a little too much. They're trying to play that he's evil because of the costume, which I get. It's a little campy. And I don't love when these movies veer into camp. Yeah. As a general rule. Um, Thor Ragnarok recently got campy, but it worked. It was like a rare case of like the humorness, humor side of it yeah. worked and didn't make it feel uh, cheesy. Uh, but in this, it did. There was moments it felt bad. That being said, I think Topher Grace, uh, who plays Venom is uh, really fun in the film, even though he doesn't feel like Venom ever did in the comics. I think Topher Grace would have been a great Spider-Man. Yeah, he was he was so funny and good in that movie. Because he, he can deliver jokes and deliver lines, and he has that similar awkward, thin geekiness to him. He would have been a perfect Peter Parker. Um, so then Sam Raimi's done, right? That, that ends his... Yeah. Uh, I mean, also Spider-Man 3 had Sandman, which a lot of people liked those bits of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, Thomas Hayden Church was so good. And the effects were really good. Yeah, and Sandman's a cool villain to do. I forgot about Sandman. Um, in that. There was just a lot in there. And a lot of people think Venom shouldn't have been in there. Yeah, they crammed it in. And, and that may be true, but it's just like there's a lot of things that sort of just were just off. And I think a lot of them were heightened from two that weren't like Venom being in isn't what made that stupid emo sequence. That was Sam Raimi. He loves that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think it was just like, yeah, it was a little too much, a little too heightened. Sometimes like you'll watch a movie and you'll love it. Like I really enjoyed the Brendan Fraser mummy movie. Yeah, I thought that was fun also. I think it's a blast. But then the sequel is just like more of everything. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is too much. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same movie. There's no reason I should dislike it, but I can't. And I think Spider-Man 3 suffers from that. It's just like, oh, you gave me all of it I could handle in Spider-Man 1 and 2, and you just turned it up. Yeah. It probably needed a new director. Yes. Now, for a long time, these three movies were the Spider-Man, not only the Spider-Man universe, it was the Marvel universe. Like, the, I mean, they were much bigger than the X-Men movies. Oh, when did yeah. X2 oh, come I should out? also say this. Uh, X2 came out. X2 was really good also. X2 came out after Spider-Man 1. Hulk came out in 2003, the bad uh, Ang Lee one. Yeah. Uh, X2 came out. Give me a second. I'll find it. Oh, wow. Um... 2003. So that was right in there. Yeah, it's funny. Before Iron Man, the Marvel the Marvel movie So before universe. Spider-Man 2. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man 1, by the way, is still one of the top 10 grossing superhero movies of all time. Oh, really? Yeah. It's the number eight. It's going to be passed by Black Panther by the time this podcast. It's like, as I'm recording this, it's up by like $3 million. Okay, so, yeah. so Black Panther yeah. will surpass it quickly, and Spider-Man will be the number nine. By the end of us recording this podcast, it'll pass it. Yeah, by the time we're finished, the next 20 minutes, it'll be done. Uh, but Spider-Man's still up there. It's ahead of, you know, Deadpool and the new Spider-Man movie. It's ahead of that. It's ahead of Guardians of the Galaxy. It's ahead of a lot. It's ahead of Iron Man. 
I forgot just what a huge, huge movie it was. It was it, it, enormous. You know, as we had already had our whole lives talking about Spider-Man at that time. And then it just surprised me how many people identified so deeply with him. Like many of my friends from college, were like, oh, Spider-Man's my guy. Like that's the hero I always liked. Like lots of people had yeah. a real personal connection to him. And that definitely fueled yeah. what a huge movie that was. Until The Dark Knight, Spider-Man was the number one superhero movie. Wow. Money-wise. Wow. So that was like for six years. It was not pa- – I mean, other movies passed it, but not superhero movies. Crazy. Okay, so then we um, – yeah. So then there was a break, yeah. and then uh, they made The Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, they rebooted it. Now, it's still Sony, right? Yeah, it's all Sp- It's all Sony. Now, this movie, weirdly – this is the Andrew Garfield one. Yes, Andrew Garfield, uh, Spider-Man, Emma Stone as uh, Gwen Stacy. I have mixed feelings about this movie. I mostly think it's fine, veering towards mm-hmm. boring, but I did really love the Spidey Gwen stuff. I felt like that was really genuine and and fun and earnest in a way that I had not been captured before. Yeah, this movie got sort of mixed reactions from people. Some people liked it, some people didn't. Andrew Garfield was definitely better at delivering the humor of Spider-Man. Yeah. His chemistry with Emma Stone was very good. I really did not like this film. <laughs> uh, what and what turned you off about it? There was a whole. It spent a lot of time on Peter's parents and that they were maybe scientists or secret spies, mm-hmm. which is an aspect mm-hmm. of Peter's parents I've never been interested in. And also, this you, movie, you like it better that they're just absent. Yeah, we don't need to know the story. I don't think I think it makes him less interesting of a character. If like your parents were super spies and you become a superhero, it's like, yeah, of course you did. Like your your whole family is super spies and crazy people. I did like your switching, parents are normal. Yeah, and, switching and, big franchises for a second. The Last Jedi. I really oh, yeah. like that they nailed down that Ray. Her parents aren't going to be anybody. I love that. I thought that was like so smart and it makes her more interesting. It was satisfying. It was used well. It it sort of inspired her. It made her, uh, it gave her like a weakness. Like she wanted to be part of something bigger. It's like, no, you're alone. You're just this thing. Man. And it gave, uh, um, what's his name? Kylo Ren sort of an in to try to use. He's like, you're not part of this story. You don't have to What a great villain. What an absolutely terrific villain. Yeah. I loved the choice to make Ray just sort of just an orphan. I think it was brilliant. Yeah. She'd have been less interesting if she was like Obi-Wan's kid or something. Yes. And so maybe there's something of that to Peter. Like we just kind of want him to have been sort of alone and sort of, well, no, you're just, you, you were abandoned. And, and yeah, and, he's one step removed from being an orphan, basically. Yeah. Um, And, but he's, you know, become this great hero. And it, it adds to like sort of the weight on his shoulders too. I think if your parents died saving the world, it's different than just sort of like, oh, they were in a car accident. Some it's sad. It's funny because that's so much of what makes Harry Potter a cool character. And yet we don't want it yeah. for Spider-Man. Yeah. And I think there's, there's another story there, like living up to the potential of your brilliant parents. Yeah. Uh, that you did or did not know about, um, which I think is Harry Potter, by the time he goes to school, knows that his parents were these amazing wizards. Yeah. He didn't for a long time, but once he does, he's that's when he starts his journey. So it's yeah. a different story. Yeah. Uh, so I don't love those aspects of it. Uh, the effects are fine. Yeah. It, it uh, There's moments that definitely do work. I like the lizard as a choice for a villain, um, but it felt it didn't feel nearly as good as Spider-Man 2. Yeah. Which was the bar at this point. Right. Now, the next Amazing Spider-Man, the sequel to that movie, I didn't even yes. watch because the reviews were so universally bad. I was like, I'm not well, even going to bother. You got to see it. It is so bad. <laughs> oh, man. You got... Well, I'll say this. Here's the one good thing about the sequel, Amazing Spider-Man 2. Okay. Uh, I think it's the best Spider-Man costume we've seen in films, the most like he is he wears in the comics. Oh, really? It looks like cloth. It doesn't look like... Like, the Spider-Man 1 through 3 feels like a little foam. Right. Like a padded thing. Yeah. Um, 
The one in Homecoming is like a high tech suit. But uh, this one looks like just like a skin tight suit. It like there's a sequence very early in the film where he jumps off a building and you can see like it's sort of rippling in the air. And it just looks it looks exactly like I've always imagined Spider-Man's costume would look like in a perfect world. All right, I'll check it out. But like I've had many opportunities to watch this movie and just been like it's so everyone just says it's boring. Like it just it just. Yeah, I've told you the one good thing about it. Uh, there are a lot of bad things about <laughs> it. It's not boring. It is. It Amazing Spider-Man 2 is the sort of movie you would make if someone described Tim Burton movies to you, <laughs> but you had never seen them yourself and said, do that with Spider-Man. <laughs> this is what you would come out no. with. Uh, Electro feels like he's ripped from a bad Tim Burton Batman sequel. Okay. There's a sequence where um, Electro is fighting Spider-Man and he's like like shooting lightning bolts at poles or something and it's making pinball noises. <laughs> and there's like another sequence where they're fighting and the, the, the soundtrack is talking to Electro. That's weird. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, <laughs> but you know what Amazing Spider-Man 2 does? It kills Gwen Stacy. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Spoiler alert, everyone who didn't see this terrible movie, good for you. Uh, they went through with killing Gwen Stacy. Because um, she dies in the comics, and that's like a hugely important and like moving and I'd say even controversial yeah. story point in the Marvel comic book Spider-Man. So as bad as this movie is, and it's awful. I was hating it from beginning to end. <laughs> I liked the costume, but that's not okay. enough to make you get past two minutes of it. It's right. terrible. It's still got like good chemistry between Garfield and Emma Stone, but it's not enough now to surpass all the awkwardness and awfulness of this movie. They're playing more into the parent stuff. They're setting up a Sinister Six third movie that they never got to make because this movie is so bad. Like they yeah. delivered, they wasted screen time on setting up all these other villains. Uh, uh, they also there's a second ho- the Green Goblin's in it as well. Sort of, or maybe he's called Hobgoblin, but Osborne becomes a goblin. It's bad. Mm-hmm. And then there's a sequence where basically Gwen Stacy falls, and Spider-Man shoots his web to catch her, and does, and her head still hits the ground. My God. So it's this like sequence where, like, instead of, like, in the comics, like, he catches her, and it's some question whether she was dead when she was thrown, or whether her, her head neck snaps, snaps from, the, uh, from the sudden stop. Yeah. But in this, like, her head snaps and, like, just touches pavement just hard enough for you to go oh, you're like she's man. dead i was watching i was like oh they killed her wow what a and big they move. did they did um does that work or is it I, the movie's so bad nothing works yeah yeah but this that moment it's in isolation guts, could have worked it's a very dark choice yeah hmm. to take a love interest and kill her that's never happened in a movie oh. i can't think of a single superhero movie who's see, the person they love dies yeah, it's nuts. I mean, it was nuts um, in the comics, too. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine reading that comic as it came out. Uh, Marvel uh, Marvel comics in the 70s were crazy. First of all, you could run into Dracula or <laughs> Satan on the corner if you were a Marvel superhero in the 70s. Yeah. Uh, you know, the so- Howard, or Howard the Duck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Marvel 70s comics were groovy, man. Talking <laughs> Ducks, um, Son of Satan, and Dracula. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so they killed Gwen Stacy. Um, wow. And so it sort of ends with like, you know, Peter Parker just being miserable. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and a third movie, if that was a good movie, it could have been great, but I, I don't trust that that movie would have been good. Yeah, sounds like a huge step down from their first one. And it you know just didn't do well uh, as well. Yeah. Oh, there was also bad, Paul Giamatti was the rhino in the, like, the last moment, which was dumb. <laughs> this movie sounds insane. I mean, it's worth watching if you like watching bad movies. I guess I'll watch it just to be a completist. So I saw it opening night <laughs> and I knew it would be bad. I knew it would be bad. Oh man. I saw it with some other people. We just spent like an hour and a half afterward talking about how bad it was. 
Um, okay, so then we don't see Spider-Man for a little while. Then he shows up in Civil War, right? That's our next Spider-Man? Right. So so Amazing Spider-Man 2 was 2014. So not that Not that long, long ago, break. yeah. It basically was bad. And then immediately Sony was like, ah, maybe we can't do Spider-Man. And Marvel's like, we can help you. And they made this deal where, where Marvel's like, let us do Spider-Man and we'll share in the profits. Okay. Because Marvel's like, half a Spider-Man is better than no Spider-Man. And we will, we, we everything we do works. So it's free money for you, Sony. I think that feels like what the deal was. Yeah. And so they reveal Spider-Man in a, a Captain America Civil War. And uh, I largely like this portrayal a lot. Uh, there's some things I don't like about it, but I this feels good to me. There's good parts, uh, and I'm not satisfied with it. I will say Spider-Man, this Spider-Man is probably the best Spider-Man we've had yeah. before I tell you all the reasons I don't like yes. him. Yes. And as the um, audience, the anybody who's listened to this episode knows, Kevin and I, especially Kevin, I say that out of respect, not to, to, I'm not going to argue, to mock you, is like so invested and thought about it so much that I believe that Kevin is almost impossible to please. But it's always, yes. I do always like talking about it with you because you've thought about it so much and you have very interesting and specific feedback on it. Okay, so yes, give me your assessment of yeah. the Tom Holland version of Spider-Man. He's really well cast. He's perfect. He looks the part. Uh, I like uh, high school Spider-Man a little more than college Spider-Man. So I think those are a lot of great choices. Okay. Um, I don't like Spider-Man being portrayed as a um, wide-eyed, amazed at everything around Okay. Him. Yeah, that was a big part of Civil so War. That's a, it's a big part of Civil War, and it's a part of Homecoming, too. It's just like he like looks up to Iron Man. He looks up to the Avengers, which makes sense. For his age. He's a yeah. kid. I think they're trying uh, the hard to emphasize his kidness when they do that. Yeah, and I also think here's where it gets tricky. And um, there was a period after Amazing Spider-Man 2 bombed and before this Civil War happened, everyone was like, they should do Miles Morales, which is another Spider-Man from another, or at the time was from uh, a, a different Marvel universe. Yeah. And he's uh, uh, black, or he's mixed race. Maybe he's black, black and Mexican, Latino, maybe. Yeah. Latino. That's it. Um, and um, and I would ask people like, well, what's the difference between that? Why won't? Why not just make Peter Parker black? What does Miles Morales bring? Like, what makes that character different? He, well, yeah, he, outside of representation, um, right. Uh, if you, but if you make Peter Parker black, what's the difference now between Peter Parker and Miles Morales? Would be my question. Right. And I didn't get great answers other than like, oh, his parents are alive, which I was like, that makes him less interesting to me. Yeah. Um, so it I could, read a bunch of Miles Morales comics. I think that's a good question to ask of any character. It's it's yeah. sort of like it's sort of like um. Although I do, I mean, the the other side of that, if I'm going to play devil's advocate with sure. you, is like, uh, you know, race and gender inform one's experience so much that it actually does add a lot. Like, um, right. But I'm comparing there, it to a you could, black you still, Peter you, Parker. There's no difference. And that's, I think that's the trick. Like if Peter Parker was black, then he's got all that race stuff on top of everything we love about him. And I think the danger of Miles Morales, and he's a successful character and everyone loves him. So when I say, I think people get mad at me before really listening. But I think what the problem is, I'm worried that Miles Morales is the black Spider-Man and not just Spider-Man. Right. Like Black Panther is, it was the first major African-American character in Marvel Comics. He also has a story, has a point of view. Yeah. Uh, has a lot going on. It, it's kind of like um, when the Phantom Menace came out or after the Star Wars prequels came out, there was some guy online who did this hugely long critique of eventually right. all three prequels, but at first just Phantom Menace. It's like an hour long or something, maybe more. Yeah. I watched the first uh, 10 minutes of it. So uh, I know the part you're talking about, but go he, on. He does. Yeah, he makes a lot of jokes and stuff that I don't like, but a lot of his, the way he analyzed why it doesn't work i found it to be really interesting and one of the things i took away from that critique is he asks his friends describe a given star wars character without saying what th what their job is or what they look like 
You know, so it's like describe Han Solo. You can't say what his job is or what he looks like. And for the old original trilogy movies, it's easy. Like C-3PO, Han, Luke, Leia, they all have distinct personalities. Mm -hmm. And for the Phantom Menace characters, they don't have any. Like Liam Neeson, terrific actor, his character doesn't have a personality. Um, Darth Maul doesn't have a personality. Yeah. It has a cool look. And so this this seems to me akin to what you're saying. Like what's Miles – describe Miles without what he looks like or what he does. And that – and that it can't be also something that Spider-Man himself already has, I think. Yeah, so that's what you're saying. What sets him apart? Because in my mind, it's like, I would be very happy, like I said earlier, it's like if Donald Glover had played Peter Spider-Man, had played Peter Parker, I'd be like, yeah, he's perfect for the part. Yeah. Um, and then you do probably bring in uh, Ray stuff to that movie because uh, it's there. Yeah. And I think it's great stuff. And I think it adds to Spider-Man, if oh, anything. Yeah. It, it adds it to his outsider for nature. For sure, for sure. Um, it, it very likely makes him a better character. Yeah, it makes him more New York, more of an underdog. Uh, but if Miles Morales is the second Spider-Man, like Spider-Man already exists, mm-hmm. he's I think he's the black Spider-Man. Yeah, at um, least, it, yeah. Until somebody, just like how Matt Murdock was just the blind Spider-Man until they added some more stuff later in his run. Yeah, I mean, uh, but easier to do when your name and power set are different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I do worry about that with the Mor- Miles Morales character. There's definitely cool things you can do with him, but in the comics, it, now it has become mostly he's a legacy character, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he's still he's just the second Spider-Man. Um, no, be, being and, second and is interesting. Most people, I mean, that's sort of like a Batman Beyond situation. Like just having to carry a legacy is an interesting thing. Yeah, you can definitely do cool stories with it. I think you'd get more leverage out of a black Peter Parker, yeah. or anything, an Asian Peter Parker, or or anything, yeah. um, than creating another just like Spider-Man. But anyway, uh, my point is, so I really read a bunch of Miles Morales comics and the big difference to me, because he's this legacy character, he's often portrayed as a little more wide-eyed and like, gosh, Spider-Man did this and oh, look, there goes Iron Man and sort of a fan. Yeah, yeah, you don't like that. Uh, uh, it, out of his depth, where Peter Parker, when he first would meet up with the Avengers or the Fantastic Four, he would think he was better than them. And maybe that was him compensating for his fear. But Peter Parker as Spider-Man was always just like, I'm as good as any of you guys. And Miles Morales is like, oh, I'm not good enough to be here. That's the big difference I can see in those two characters. So Tom Holland feels to me like he is playing Miles Morales. Interesting. But a white Miles Morales. And it's almost the worst of both worlds Mm -hmm. in that sense. Mm -hmm. You've taken the one thing that Miles Morales had and given given it to Peter Parker. What do you think of uh, Hot Young Aunt May? I mean, I I don't love it, but I don't care that much. (laughs) I mean, as... Uh, I don't like the jokes about it, but um, it, like the within movie jokes bother me. But uh, just because it just feels like, oh, let's sexualize <laughs> this yeah. character. Um, but as long as she's there to support Peter Parker, I think she yeah. can work. Uh, but you know, his quips are good. Uh, the the effects are good. Um, I, I, so as far as Civil War goes, Spider Man's a fun part of that movie. Now let's go to Spider Man Homecoming, the the most recent, and as as at the time of this so, recording, the most recent Spider Man movie. Yeah. So just to even add to that a little bit, like his best friend in that yeah. movie, Ned, feels like he is pulled from Miles Morales okay. comics. Uh, he's not named Ned, but his best friend looks okay. just like that and knows he's okay. Spider-Man. And so that's another Miles Morales thing they sort of stole. And like those are the things that I, I started to get bothered by. I'm like, oh, you because you didn't want to make Peter Parker black and you didn't want to make Miles Morales in the Avengers, you stole from yeah. him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Very weird to me. Not enough to hurt the movie because if I didn't read the comics, I, I wouldn't I've never even read know. Miles Morales comics, but, and I love that character in Homecoming. Yeah, and that's a that's definitely one hundred percent from yeah. Miles Morales. 
They just changed his name. Um, he it, for for me, it was really. Uh, I, I'm but, gonna say I really enjoyed Spider-Man: Homecoming. I would say that it's my second favorite after Spider-Man Two. I thought I really it it flowed well. So, it was funny. It was fun. It got to good stuff. I, I thought it was a really. I was you know Michael Keaton was a great villain with great twists. I had a blast. Yeah. Despite all my complaints, I think it might be my favorite Spider-Man movie. So it's so funny how deep into it you are. You you could list all these complaints and still be like my favorite yeah. one. <laughs> I've I've barely begun to list my complaints with this Spider-Man Homecoming movie, uh, but I still think at the end the good parts of it are so good. Well, give me the give me the bullet uh, points. What works. are the what are the main best parts and the main bad parts? Uh, the main best parts. Michael Keaton is a huge part of it. I think Vulture is good. The the way they uh, adapted the Vulture to make him an. I think I talked about this when we covered the Vulture issues. But this Vulture actually is a Vulture that he picks apart technology and builds new technology out yeah. of it. Like he goes to the battlefields and picks up the dead bodies, basically uh, the tech. And builds his wings and builds all these devices or builds weapons. I think that's really cool that it had like the shocker and the tinkerer in it in a way that didn't make them lame. Just had them be like other members of yeah. this team. I think that's all really great. The sequence where Michael Keaton and Peter Parker talk in the car. Yes. So, um, so suspenseful. Is maybe the best scene in any Spider-Man movie. Yeah. And feels like a Norman Osborn, Peter yeah. Parker scene. But I don't mind stealing from fictional characters. Uh <laughs> in that sense as much like it just felt like a really great sequence um all that the effects were really good um tom holland is legitimately great as peter parker as spider-man he delivers jokes he's funny um the last fight with the vulture is yeah. really good and it and it feels uh, uh like it could win like even just you know basically the vulture says like i'm gonna let you go but if you come after me i will kill you yeah and Peter Parker doesn't blink, just immediately goes after yeah. the vulture. And that's a great moment. The parts I don't like is I don't love the high-tech suit. Right. The suit's a big part of that movie. There's a long – I'd say it's maybe the biggest uh, time consumption is like him trying to get this high-tech suit from Tony Stark or use this high-tech suit that he got from Tony Stark. So I don't love that. I don't love the Tony Stark stuff really at all. I don't like Spider-Man being a sidekick okay. to Iron Man. I understand why you would do it. Robert Downey Jr. is yeah. a star connected to Iron Man, make it very much part of the Marvel Universe. But I find that takes away from Spider-Man to make him have so much stuff handed okay. to him uh, that he wants to be in the Avengers so badly. Uh, and that's all he's trying to do. It sort of bothers me. The fact that he sort of doesn't succeed much in oh, this interesting. movie. He, you know, he tries to stop this like ATM robbery and he blows up <laughs> the right, deli across right. the street. He goes to DC to save them. And that's sort of a, a kind of yeah. a screw up. Like, um, well, exactly he saves his happens, friends, but like things don't go. The, he saves his friends, but mm -hmm. not well. He goes to the uh, ferry ride and, and definitely makes that mm -hmm. worse. Now, some of that's not his fault. Like, there's moments where Tony Stark's like, we were handling it. They could have told him that. Right, right, right. He was leaving the messages going, this is going to happen. They never responded, so he went to deal with it. I yeah. think he's right to do that. So I'm not necessarily saying Spider-Man screwed up, but I'm saying, like, we didn't see him mm -hmm. succeed. And I would have loved to have seen mm -hmm. him succeed a bunch so that he could be like, yeah, I can handle this. So that when he failed, he had sort of gotten right, his right. ego too big. Uh, and then to overcome that and still right. stop the Vulture would be great. So all that yeah. stuff bothers me a lot. But, I mean, I do want to see this movie again just to rewatch the uh, uh, Michael Keaton, Tom Holland yeah. in the car I'll, scene. And that also surprised me, me. I was not expecting uh, – we're spoiling this movie a lot. Sorry. Um, but uh, they reveal that the Vulture is his girlfriend yeah. or his date's father. I was like, oh, it fit everything they said beforehand, but they just didn't tell you. It was a great move. Yeah. What do you think about the portrayal of Mary Jane Watson? We don't see a lot of her in this movie, but we do see enough to get a feel for what she's like. She was really fun. Yeah. It was uh, a very cool choice, I thought. 
Uh, I mean, they don't necessarily say she's Mary Jane Watson. They definitely call her MJ, so she's in spirit Mary Jane for sure. Yeah. yeah. But uh, this the the moment where she asks Peter where he's running off to. Yeah. And he starts to make an excuse, and she goes, "I don't care." I was like, yeah. "I love, I love her." Yeah. Um. Uh, I hope she's in the next one. I hope like that feels and lot. Also, you could say she knows he's Spider Man. You got room to do that for sure. Um. And I think that's a fun take, and I always hope they'll do that. Where she knows, here's what makes that such a cool thing. We've talked about it. We danced around it a bunch, but I love the idea that Mary Jane knows, but Spider Man doesn't know she knows. Right. That's what makes it cool. I love it too. I hope that's. That, I hope that's what's going on. That she's not putting pressure on him for disappearing or running off. She's yeah. covering for him, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he doesn't know why. Yeah. You know, like helping people not suspect why Peter's run off. It helps to keep the secret identity, but also adds to her character a lot. I think that'd be a fun thing. Uh, I also liked. Oh, I also liked in the new movie the the magnet school was sort of the nerd version of Flash Thompson. Oh yeah, that's right. I thought that was an interesting take. Yep. That I forgot bullies about that. aren't just physical bullies. Yeah. I think that's really fun. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff in there. Um, we should wrap it up. Yeah, that's uh, uh, a lot. Sorry, um, I rambled there for a bit there at the end. Hey, I, as someone who's talked to you about this our whole life, I know you had a lot to say about it. I like hearing it. <laughs> um, Hollywood, I hope you were taking notes. Uh, one of the most interesting development executives, Kevin Hines, just gave you his rundown on all the movies. <laughs> <laughs> yep, to take that. You can use that uh, for Homecoming 2, whatever that ends up being called. Yep. And um, I mean, next appearance of Spider-Man will be in the Infinity War, I guess. Yeah. I mean, we're in such a different place than when we were kids. I mean, like the idea of a Spider-Man movie was just impossible. And now we have a range of movies, most of them quite good, a couple of them extremely good. I feel lucky. The fact that Everett K. Ross uh, is a movie character now. Yeah. That Rocket Raccoon is a movie character now. Yeah. Uh, is mind-boggling to me. Uh, on TV, we have the Elongated Man. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. Well, I don't know what's happened to this world <laughs> where characters that I was like, well, you, not only do I not think this person will be adapted, I don't think you need to. <laughs> They've been adapted. I mean, when I heard when I heard there was an Ant-Man movie, I was like, what? Yeah, <laughs> it was fun. It was really fun. I loved it. Um, so uh, I'm looking forward to more. Yeah. Do you think Steve Ditko goes to see these movies? I guess not. Probably not. I mean, right? He must be aware that they are constantly being made in these huge money. I mean, he's getting he's getting paid for them. I think so. No, no, he has to be because if his if his names are in the opening credits the way they are yeah. created by, he's getting money. Um, or his family is, or somebody is, or he sets something. Somebody up, yeah. is, or he's. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how much. I don't know. I mean, unless there's something crazy where somehow he gave away that right, but I hope that's not true. I think. The name in the credit means something like I I think so too uh, I hope that's true I hope he's getting something even if he hates it I, I'm I'm sure he's getting something he's not getting anywhere near what he would if he owned the copyright to the character right I mean the character itself has generated such a huge amount of cash he doesn't get anything close to a piece of that but he's got to get something for these films it's just unless he has the worst agent unless we are his agents yeah I mean unless like he was so stubborn even about because he didn't want to take like any money because it's saying they're right or something. I, I, yeah, but yeah. I don't know. I can imagine like a version where Steve Ditko is just like, no, I'm not going to take uh, uh, like, uh, yeah. I mean, like, Mr. Like a, athlete, Mr. A wouldn't uh, like an athlete turning down money because they think they're worth more and then not getting any money. Yeah. Is what it feels like. And I hope that's not true. Or you don't take settlement money. Cause you don't want to admit that it's over or something. Yeah. Uh, I, I doubt it. I doubt it. I hope he's getting money. I mean, I think he probably hates it. I, I'm sure he wishes Spider-Man was no more. Yeah, he's. I, I don't know. He seems like a weird dude. Um, uh, uh, it's sad, but he made an amazing character. Uh, yeah, he did great, great work, uh, and he inspired the world's greatest podcast. 
Which one? Uh, uh, screw it. You're hardcore, just talk about oh, hardcore history. He's like he's like really into like World War One. Yeah, yeah, uh, he inspired comedy. Bang bang. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so uh, well, Kevin, thanks so much for this special episode. I don't. We don't know when we're going to release this, but I, I assume yeah. there'll be more episodes of our regular podcast left. So. Listeners, come back next week for an episode of our regular podcast where yeah. I presume we'll be going back into the issues. Yeah, we'll be in the, the issue that comes after the issue we did last week. That's right. That is fair to say. Yeah. Uh, all right, Thanks Kevin. I'll see you next episode. Bye. Yeah. Oh, wait, Kevin, our, our, our uh, email address and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you want to uh, tell me why I'm wrong about everything I just said, you can email <laughs> me at screwitspidey at gmail.com. We can tweet uh, at us at also screwitspidey on Twitter. We also yeah. have an Instagram account that's screwitspidey, and it's like... The best. I really highly. If you've listened this far, you really enjoy the Instagram account, so go check that out. Yeah, it's a lot of panels from the comic. I don't know what I'll post for this episode. Maybe not that much. Um, um, but we'll see what I can scramble up. Okay. Uh, but most weeks I post tons of Ditko art panels, so it's definitely yeah. worth following. Uh, all right. So now I'll see you next episode, Kevin. All right. Bye, Will. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. We're just gonna, gonna talk about Spider-Man. Campfire.